Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm back, sort of. We need to have a conversation (laughs) because I haven't done a podcast in three weeks and people are like, oh my God, what's happening? Where's my podcast? What's going on? Those are the nice people. Some people have just been straight up trash humans. Um, I'm going through some shit. How do I put this? I am at a crossroads in my life. I just turned 40. I don't really feel great about that. And not so much as a fear of getting older. I just don't feel very accomplished. And when I first started feeling it, I thought I was just like having PMS. But it's actually deeper than that. And it's deeper than just like something I can sort of like talk myself through. My therapist is on vacation too. I just kind of feel like there's, there's more that I should have accomplished by now. And I really can't even tell you what that more is. Like, I don't have a clear outlook of what I think I should have done. I just don't feel like I have done enough, if that makes sense. Oprah, via all her readings of other people, she has this really famous quote, which I'm about to butcher, but I'll get the gist of it right, where she talks about there are only really two emotions, love and fear. And that people's greatest fear is being exposed as not enough. So maybe I am afraid of something. I just haven't been able to pinpoint exactly what that is yet. It's part of the reason that I haven't done a podcast in three weeks. The other part of it is I've been on the road and I'm tired. I'm at a point in my life where I just, I'm not willing to be a mule. And when I'm tired, I lay down and I, I don't overextend myself in the same way that I used to. I'm not willing to work hard and hard and harder I try to work smarter. So I had other projects that needed my attention. Hmm. I like LA and being out here, but I get how people say that like before you come to LA, you really need to like know who you are. If you've never heard anyone say that, then you probably are from LA or have never moved here. When I moved to New York at 21, People didn't express the same concern about like, oh my God, be careful in the same way that people did when I started talking about moving to LA. The peer pressure here, even for like someone who's 40, is really high in a way that's like, I haven't experienced probably since high school, junior high school. Like I go to brunch, somebody will be like, you know, I've been thinking about trying LSD or trade Instagram follows about plastic surgeons because everyone gets lipo or like gets their face done there's an extreme pressure on physical appearance here in a way that doesn't exist in New York which you know models exist in New York but models don't tend to have their face in HD on big screens so the emphasis here since most people you meet are are in the business in some form or fashion is you want to like look your physical best And the ideal here for beauty is much farther for a black girl than it is on the East Coast or in the South. It's something I struggle with. And I I feel in general that I'm pretty rooted in who I am and how I feel about myself and, and things like that. But 
some days it can just get like really hard. I think I'm particularly susceptible to that right now because I'm having these weird feelings about 40 and my sense of accomplishment. I remember years ago when I was in my 20s, when I was writing a bell in Brooklyn, I think I made some comment about like what 40 would be. I was probably like 28 or 29 at the time. And this woman who was in her 40s or on her way to her 40s was like, well, by the time you're 40, you better be the shit. And I was like, oh, I assure you, I will be. And now I'm 40. And I mean, I guess from the outside looking in, it looks like everything's like, you know, in place. Like I've got a TV film coming out. I have a successful podcast. My third book is being shopped. I really feel like I should have written more books. That is one thing I'm clear about. But, you know, I write about my life. You got to live it in order to write something about it. I live in the loft that I always wanted. I didn't always want to live in L.A., but a couple years ago I got the desire to. And now I'm here. And life is pretty good overall. But still, I just feel like there's, I don't know. I could be doing more. I should be doing more. I remember last year around this time, like I went to Essence Fest and I was working backstage doing social media for a really big brand and they were paying me a ton of money. It paid my rent for the entire year just to work for those three days. I was sitting backstage and I was, you know, greeting all these people who I'd known and I'd worked with. And I was like, what am I doing back here? And I was like, this is good, honest work. No tea, no shade. I am thankful for it. My bills were paid. My soul was not compromised in the process. But I was like, is this God's plan for me? And I worked really hard over the last year to get from back there. And so I just got back from Essence Fest. I was on center stage this year, which was to go from behind the scenes to literally the center main stage in the convention center. It's it's a pretty big leap, especially for a year. And it felt really good. I've never done center stage before. I used to do, uh, I used to host the empowerment stages for Essence many, many years ago. That's when I was working at Essence. So it felt good to, you know, be back like in the mix again. Hmm. I just can't pinpoint exactly, exactly what it is. Because I'm a woman, the obvious thing that people are going to be like is, oh, you need love and a baby. I have no real desire for either right now. I'm still legally married. I mean, technically, I could probably date and nobody would really care. It's been two years since I left. But mm, I went on a date recently. It was really good. We went to we went museum hopping. He's a really nice guy. Great conversation. Amazing energy. Really cute. Totally my type. Like if you saw him out, you'd be like, oh, that's Demetria. She would do that. (laughs) As a matter of fact, one of my friends ran into him. And was like, oh, my God, I just met these guys. They're so cool. And one of them, she was like, you would totally date him. So she starts telling me about him. And I was like, wait, you know that's the guy I told you about, right? Small world. There's like five people in the world. I swear, like, they all know each other. But it was a good day. It was great, actually. Like, no complaints. And then I called him the next day and was like, you know what? I, I'm not equipped to date. I don't know. I just didn't like liking someone if that makes sense maybe that doesn't make sense I didn't like the vulnerability of liking someone and caring what they thought about me like in my day-to-day life like I go around and like you know I go to the gym and I you know I do what I do to my hair and I dress how I dress and work how I work 
live how I live, and it's fine. But then I found myself, like, thinking about those things. It's been a really long time since I wondered, like, I wonder if he'll like my dress. I wonder if he likes my hair. I wonder if he thinks I'm fat. Ish like that. And I'm like, I don't, who is that? Like, it just seems to be sort of like a default that I fall back into because that's what I'm used to thinking when I'm interacting with someone. And then I was like, I, I need to do more self-work. I don't like that, that talk that comes up in my head. And that's not a him thing. That's a me thing. So I sent him a very nice text, which kind of makes me an asshole. And I was just like, yesterday was amazing. And I don't think that I'm ready to date again. And thank you so much for your time. And I'm sorry that this is so awkward. But he hit me back. And he said, thank you for your transparency, your honesty. I think you're dope. I wish you the best. And please don't be a stranger. I really liked him. But I need to do more me work before I engage with someone else. Um, a bit of housekeeping. We need to figure out what this podcast is going to be about. Because I've received a lot of feedback about it, which is also one of the reasons I haven't been posting. And I don't want to discourage you from giving feedback. I do want to know what you think and how you feel. But it really does seem like it's split 50-50 on whether you want just straight pop culture conversation or whether you want to listen to me muse about like whatever's going on in my head, which may or may not include pop culture that week. Very lately, I have not felt like discussing pop culture. I'm not really that excited about anything. Like we have some pop culture topics today. I'm going to talk about Queen Sugar. And I'm going to talk about The Handmaid's Tale briefly because I think it's a terrible show right now. We'll talk about ASAP and we'll talk about Serena being a naked superhero on the cover of Harper's Bazaar. But in the meantime, we need to figure out what this podcast is going to be about. And what I'm thinking, and tell me if this works for you, that we can do pop culture one week and perhaps Demetrius Musings the following week. That could work. I can't talk about pop culture every week. Like, I'm interested in pop culture. I love pop culture. But just sitting down talking about pop culture for like 45 minutes to an hour, that's not going to work for me. Can we talk a, a wee bit about fame? Literally, I'm giving you the list of things that I would talk to my therapist about. People often want to know, like, what's in my head. They accuse me of not being vulnerable enough. And I was like, I have cried on a podcast. I've made public announcements about my separation. So I'm having some issues around this film coming out. And it has absolutely zilch to do with like the actual film. You know, I've been working on my personal life for the last couple years, and I haven't had a big project. And so this is the first one that's come about in a while. It's made me more visible bigger presence, easier target. When you become more visible, people make all sorts of assumptions about who you are, what you think, and what you're doing, and what you mean, despite what you say. So people just project in general. And I thought that was something that I dealt with when I was on the show. I had a lot of therapy around the reactions and the rejections, really, about me being on TV. 
or on a reality show, really. There's not really a lot of rejection about Good Morning America. It was specifically like the reality show. Although there is some about CNN and HLN or MSNBC. When I do those, there can be pushback sometimes. But the reality show was the biggest one. So I thought I'd work through like a lot of that stuff. And to be fair, most of it's very positive. Like I can post a picture and I can say the caption of the picture is whatever I'm thinking about feeling that day. And people would be like, oh, my God, you look healed. You look empowered. You look like you're in love. You look like you love yourself. You look like you're standing in your truth. And I just sometimes would be like, I just happen to have a really good photographer who snapped a great shot. And now you've decided that I must feel some whole other way that's really based on what you feel. It's not the worst thing in the world for people to think that you're doing better or in a good place. So I don't mind it as much. But the negative parts of it get really weird. Right before I set up this podcast, someone sent me a screenshot of a review that someone had left on iTunes. It was a very disgruntled woman. She was upset that I had not posted for the last three weeks. And she wrote... First, this podcast is best when Demetria is just open, relaxed, and being herself. You really don't know who I am. I give you parts of me. I don't give anyone, literally anyone, all of me. But okay. When she's being Demi, okay, that's, some, that's a dig at the, the LA thing. She sounds overly rehearsed and overly pretentious. <laughs> For clarity, the Demi thing is kind of a joke. Some people take it more seriously than others. I've actually gone by Demi in like restaurants or at the Apple store or waiting in line for something because it's much easier to pronounce than Demetria. But I'll also tell people this. I have changed and it was very intentional. So when people pointed out to me like, oh, my God, you've changed. Yes, that was the fucking point. I wasn't in a good place in order to be in a better place. And to close the gap between the place that I was and the place that I wanted to be, I had to make changes. That's kind of how, you know, you get from point A to point Z. You got to change something. The idea that you're going to be the exact same person that you are and expect different results from the world around you. Stupid. Let's continue. All the early episodes, she was begging for subscribers to get her numbers up. Now that she's got enough subscribers to get sponsors, she can't be bothered to consistently put out a podcast. What? So let me be really clear about the sponsorship thing and how it works. If I don't post, I don't get paid. So it's not like, oh, you've got sponsors and they just like cut this check and it just exists when you do no work. Like you actually have to do the work. The idea that I just don't care about the podcast anymore because I have sponsors makes no sense. And I just feel the need to address this because this review sums up a lot of things that I've heard over the past three weeks. And it just sort of bothers me that like you listen to my podcast, you tell me how you've listened to every episode. But then if something doesn't go your way or I don't post regularly because damn it, I got to work, I got to rest, then you just make the worst possible assumptions about who I am and what I do and what my priorities are. And that just doesn't feel very good. And I get it. You enjoy the podcast. I like doing the podcast. 
I literally do not always have the time and the energy and I cannot wear myself down to the bone again. I just can't do it to myself and I won't do it to myself. So then she goes on to say, and no, this is not a quote and unquote free product for listeners. As long as she's using our subscriber numbers to get sponsors, aka paid, she should be consistent, even if it means putting out a bi-weekly or monthly episode. So it has been less than a month since my last episode. I literally told folks on the last episode, next week is going to be late, may or may not happen. That was three weeks ago. Since that time, I have been in Miami, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, and New Orleans, five different cities. In between those, I've been back and forth to L.A. twice. I'm tired. And I just think it's really unfair when people send me like these fired up messages accusing me of not caring or accusing me of I don't know, just like wanting to take the money and run, which is not at all how the business plan for this works. When I don't put up a podcast, I don't get paid. If I'm not willing to get a check, then something else must really be going on. It's just really hard sometimes for people to always like assume the worst about you, especially when you're struggling with like thinking the worst about yourself on your own. And if you're thinking, You probably shouldn't be in the public eye if you can't deal. Please believe that's something I contemplate every single day. Every single day, I debate ending the podcast, closing all my social media, and just like going to get a nine to five and something totally not entertainment related and calling it a wrap. The only problem is I kind of like what I do. You think the podcast is erratic now? Wait till I start writing this book. Dealing with editor pressures and trying to get a podcast up every week? Huh. I'm not ready for that struggle. I don't think you are either. If you're this demanding at this point, you just got to know how far you can push people. Like, I'm not usually this fragile, but right now I am. And like, it's just a lot. Oh, one more thing. Can we figure out also what we're going to do about this kid situation? Because I curse like a sailor. I try to drop an F-bomb when appropriate, not just like, you know, a random one, just to, just to say one. I'm not a, like a teenager where I feel the need to curse just to curse. But lots of y'all listen to this podcast with your children and your mothers in the room. I'm not so upset about the mother's thing. I mean, I don't mean no disrespect to my elders, but my elders are grown and have heard all of my language many times before. The children, however, concerns me. And I'm not doing an edited version of this podcast. If I curse, I curse. But can y'all not listen to this with the babies around? Or am I just going to have to stop cursing? I'm going to put up a post. And y'all can just tell me on this post all of your thoughts and feels about which direction we should go in. And I'm literally just going to go with the majority rules. We'll also have to figure out if this is going to be weekly or bi-weekly or what conversation we're having. Because this whole pull Demetria in every direction and make all these demands of her, I will just shut down and not do shit. It's just how I operate. I'll just go do something else. I'm just being honest with you about who I am. I'm in full cancer bloom right now. So it seems we've got that out of the way. Essence Fest was amazing. I had a great time. I was on stage with Bevy Smith. Bevy has been my mentor since I was 
She wasn't my mentor when I was 21. I met her when I was 21. When I went to NYU for grad school, I landed an internship at Vibe. I worked in the music department. Bevy worked upstairs in ad sales. And she didn't come downstairs very much. She's very close with Emil Wilbekin, who was the EIC editor-in-chief of Vibe at the time. But she didn't come downstairs and hang out very much. Back then, there was a big separation of quote-unquote church and state between the sales team and the edit team. Not so much anymore. But Vibe would have events, and Bevy would come out in full Bevy glory, always boobs high, and, and give us a twirl. And I was just fascinated with her. Like, I come from D.C. Everyone's in gray, black, navy blue, maybe a white shirt, men and women. The skirts hit the knees. The dresses aren't really form-fitting. You're more likely to get a sheath than a va-va-voom. The skirts are long. The boobs are covered. I mean, for business stuff. So I'd never seen a woman in business like Bevy. She knew everyone in the room. I told her when we were at Essence, (laughs) I was sitting next to her, and everyone who came in came over to greet her. And I was like, yo, it's like sitting with the godmother. But 20 years ago, it was the same thing. Bevy would be perched somewhere. And everyone who walked in the room, celebrities, all their handlers, the celebrity publicists, everyone would make a beeline to Bevy. It was almost like kissing the ring. I was just totally fascinated with her. Like I'd never met a businesswoman like her, who looked like her, who dressed like her, who acted like her, who was totally at 110% herself. Like that Harlem accent, that's Bevy. Like, I went to New York, and the first thing I did was try to get rid of my Merlin accent. I go to the carry-out, not the curry-out. I call guys Eric, not Irk. I felt like I had to, because people thought I was country, and by proxy thought I was stupid. But I thought Bevy was absolutely amazing. So I think this is the first time we've shared a stage together. But it was fun and fascinating. My bestie used to have, he may still have, this post-it on his work wall that said idols become peers that was his goal was to get to where his idols were and so to share a stage with one of my idols was actually a really big moment for me so we got on stage and we talked about inappropriate things Bevy had called me at eight o'clock that morning and we had this 20-minute conversation on speakerphone where I was getting my face done And it was completely inappropriate. The makeup artist and the hairstylist on both ends were howling the whole time. And we just got on stage and literally rehad that conversation in front of like a live audience. It was great. And then later we did another smaller, more intimate conversation about sex and sexual health, HIV prevention, safe sex, all of those things with a smaller group of about 150, 200 women. This woman walked up and she wanted to share her sexual rider. So her do's and don'ts for what she's okay with, with sex. Like she made a list. She's very clear about this is what it is. And she shares this with her partner before they have sex. Condoms are a must. Getting tested for HIV and STIs, also a must. And then she got into her likes and dislikes of her sexual pleasure. So for her, she was no hair pulling, no choking, I want to say it was don't call her out her name. So we ended up in this whole conversation about, you know, what people do and do not like in bed. My sexual writer is a similar one. 
Condoms are a must. Testing is ideal. I have, I have not been 100% with that. Choking is actually like a mandatory. I was with someone who didn't, he just couldn't bring himself to do it. He was like, I just can't choke you. It's just, I just, I can't, I can't treat you that way. And I was like, oh, you're having that like Madonna whore thing. Like we're together. So you feel like you got to treat me one way versus you can treat other women other way. And I was like, oh, fuck. The hair pulling, you haven't lived until you have natural hair and somebody get right to that center spot. Those are actually my only two like requirements. No anal. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not going to happen. You ever had somebody accidentally, like, they get into it? <laughs> and they just accidentally, like, hit the wrong door? Oh, my gosh. Like, just, no. That happened once and never again. And it was just the tip. And I was like, never, never, ever. That was up there with sciatica pain. Um, I don't have kissing in my sexual rider. Because I just thought it was like, I'm going to have sex with somebody I don't kiss. But then I was reading this, this Facebook thread the other day. This woman was asking, like, what is it with men who don't want to kiss you, but will have sex with you? And I was like, really? I mean, I knew, like, you know, sex workers, like, that was a rule that they had. Because kissing is very intimate. But I was like, you won't kiss someone, but you'll put your penis in them? Or someone won't kiss you, but you'll let them put their penis in you? And someone broke it down and was like, really, if you think about it, like, if you're just hooking up with somebody... It's not really about their sexual pleasure. You're using another person essentially to masturbate. So kissing would seem too intimate when all you really want to do is have an orgasm. And I was like, I mean, I guess. But I'm just like, how do you get it moist? How do you get things popping and juicy? Like, I mean, you just use lube? Mm. Allow me to take a moment in our lovely conversation and do my drop for Daily Harvest. If you've been following along on the podcast, you know that I am obsessed with Daily Harvest. Right now, it's for convenience. I've been home seven days in the last five weeks. Now that I'm back in L.A. and the weather is finally decent, I mean, not for my birthday, but every day since then, it's been like 85, 86. I'm all about taking advantage of this amazing weather. But the last thing I want to do in this heat and when I have ish to do is cook. I got to a freezer full of food that I refuse to cook. So Daily Harvest is serving me well. If you're not familiar with Daily Harvest, Daily Harvest delivers thoughtfully sourced chef-crafted food that is built on fruits and vegetables and can be prepared in less than five minutes. You can fill your box with more than 65 different options like ready-to-blend smoothies, refreshing chilled soups, and savory harvest bowls. My favorite smoothie is the pink one. I want to say it's like a strawberry mango situation. It's really good. A little almond milk. Each Daily Harvest cup takes one step to prepare with room for customization. Add your favorite milk to a smoothie and blend or heat a harvest bowl. And top it with an avocado or a fried egg. That's new. I haven't tried that. That sounds exciting. All of Daily Harvest ingredients are sourced and selected for maximum nourishment and peak season flavor. The best part, Daily Harvest single serving cups are the ultimate grab and go meal or snack so you can get a dose of nourishing fruits and vegetables at any time of day. If you would like to join me in the Daily Harvest obsession, and to be clear, it's an obsession, like you're gonna get hooked. You can go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code RESPECTABLE 
to get three cups free in your first Daily Harvest box. That's promo code RESPECTABLE for three free Daily Harvest cups at dailyharvest.com. Dailyharvest.com. There's also some exciting news from our friends at Audible. Dapper Dan's new book, Made in Harlem, is out on Audible. It is moderated by Omari Hardwick. He has a beautiful voice, just FYI. It's like listening to Ghost tell you about our friend Dapper Dan, who I love. I saw him backstage at Essence, and I just wouldn't even speak to him. I just wanted to, like, just give him his space and respect him for his story. He is a prime example of what my grandmother calls just keep living, child. Who knew that, like, after his work in the 80s and those big designers shut him down, then knocked him off in the 2000 teens, that he would end up as a designer with his own line. I have my issues with Gucci after that sweater fiasco. But I love me some Dapper Dan. But yes, he has a new book on Audible. If you're not familiar with Audible, Audible delivers bestsellers, business, self-improvement, memoirs, and more, all professionally narrated by actors, authors, and motivational superstars. Audible members get free access to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post, which are delivered daily to the Audible app. With the convenient app, members can access Audible at any time at the gym, while commuting, on the go, and on any device. It will always pick up right where you left off. You can start listening to Audible with a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash respectable or text respectable to 500-500. Once again, that's audible.com slash respectable or text R-E-S-P-E-C-T-ABLE to 500-500. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. I'm a faithful watcher of Queen Sugar because I talk about it on the podcast and occasionally on my, my Instagram. They send me advanced copies. So I watch it on Monday. And I'd be mad as hell from Monday until Wednesday night because I can't talk about it with anybody. I'm just trying to figure out why Nova did this. Because her justification of like, oh, I'm just trying to heal. I'm just trying to heal. Ma'am, no parts of what you've done is how you help people heal. You're just going to really put them on blast and expect healing to happen. In this last episode, Cree Summer, who I did not recognize. I follow Cree Summer on Instagram. I did not recognize her when she popped up on the screen. I was like, this sounds like someone I know. It's Cree Summer. In, in the show, she's Nova's professor or was Nova's professor. And they had an intimate relationship. I was like, did you put that in the book? Did you put your bisexuality in the book? You want people to heal. Did you talk about that? You telling all these other people's deep business? Tell that business. You didn't talk about that married white man you was getting it on with and how his colleagues spit in your face. Tell that business, Nova. I'd really like to hear your thoughts about that. And then that part about Ernest. But it sounded like some people got killed and he buried the bodies on the land. Ma'am, in what GD world did you think that it was appropriate to put that in the book? I decided this is the last minute edition I wanted to share. Really? 
And nobody at your publishing house was like, you know what? That's probably not a good idea. Quick publishing fact. Nova's book never would have seen the light of day in the real world. The lawyers would have flagged most of what she said about other people. You're saying that this child is not the biological child of your brother. Do you have proof and can you produce it? You're saying that this was the agreement that your sister made with her husband and his mistress who he may or may not have raped. You're alleging this. What proof do you have? And I tell you that because in my memoir, A Bell in Brooklyn, a bunch of stuff got flagged. There were some more details about people that I was not allowed to put in because I could not provide proof or some of the accusations may have resulted in a lawsuit. The second chapter of Rebel in Brooklyn, I talk about my mentor who sexually assaulted me when I was 22, 23. I'd called someone to come get me from the guy's house. And the guy showed up, like he beat his ass in the middle of the street. And I said he tried to kill him, which I at some point had to pull him off him because he was going berserk. I didn't want anything to happen to the friend that I called to help me. I didn't want him to end up in jail trying to like defend me. They made me take out the line. He tried to kill him in case the guy who was assaulted ever tried to press charges to say this man assaulted me. In accusing this man of trying to assault me, I had to provide emails that we exchanged after that where he apologized for what he did as proof that this situation had happened. I still have them, by the way. There's also a police report from when I went to the SVU in Harlem. I had to provide the, the name of the detective that I spoke to so they could get the police report. I didn't have a copy of it. It was two days after the incident to validate that what I was saying was truthful. And this is all without using the name of the guy who assaulted me. There's another point in the book where I think I talked about this guy that I dated was accused of sexually assaulting multiple women on my college campus and was eventually expelled once the allegations came to light. He was an athlete, so it was kept very hush-hush. Like everyone knew, but there was never a news story about it. There was never a police report about it. He was just asked to leave and it was sort of swept under the rug. So it was something that everybody talked about. And I knew one of the girls who had been a part of the in-house case that she'd accused him. She'd accused him of rape, not even assault. But that's how I found out about it. But they wouldn't let me put that in the book because there was no formal charge. I didn't use his name. I changed his physical description. The average reader would not have known. But they wouldn't let me put it in. And I had to take out the part about the accusations. And so in real world, like Nova's book would never see the, the light of day. But for TV, girl, I was so mad at her. I mean, I've been mad at her 50 million times watching this episode. But when the little boy told Blue that Ralph Angel wasn't his daddy, and then Ralph Angel had to go talk to Blue with the bomb, and Blue was crying and he's telling Blue that half my soul is in you. Oh, girl, a mess. I was a mess. I hate Nova. I read something. Someone was quoting someone from the network or maybe one of the, the actors as saying, by the end of the season, 
will appreciate Nova and understand her better. I was like, sis, we on episode five. I don't mess with you. Davis ain't shit. My ex-husband can't call me for help. I made peace with everything that happened during the marriage. He apologized to me for his role. I did the same. So that part, peace. The issues pulled with this divorce, which is still not final, I have not yet made peace with. I work out every single day to manage my anger around it. I don't know if any amount of therapy is going to sort that one through. Perhaps when the divorce is finally final, I'll feel better about it. But the divorce has now lasted longer than the actual marriage. Like, it's next topic. Davis calling Charlie, talking about, I need your help. You don't need my help. I need your help. We used to do this together. Notice how you said used to. Then he going to show up at the house, offer an apology, and try to get a kiss? Sir, no you didn't. I was appalled and offended for her. When he leaned in to try to kiss Charlie, the look on her face, she gave it to him mild. I might have had to slap him for the audacity to think your lips belong near mine. Sir, get out. Literally, get out my house with that nonsense. How dare you? And poor Vi, she going through it. Hollywood was like, you don't have to worry. I'm here to protect you. I got you. And she was like, you can protect me from the outside world, but you can't protect me from what's going on inside me. And Hollywood was like, but I can be here for you while you go through it. If I had on draws when I was watching it, I would have thrown them at the screen. That is a man. That's a man. I'm like, if we're not doing Hollywood and Vi, what are we doing? What is the purpose? I get it if you're just having flings. But if you're going to invest in somebody, you're going to build with somebody. If you're not building Hollywood and Vi, what are you doing? Why are you here? If it's not that kind of big love, I don't want it. I love Hollywood. That love looked like it hit right. Remember that episode? They was doing the loving. And Vi got up and she said, I'm going to the bathroom and I'm going to take care of lady things. But when I come back, I will not be a lady. And I was like, yes. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, now. Hey, now. I watched the latest episode of Handmaid's Tale. That show has gone downhill. This latest plot line with June, who's done nothing more than talk a bunch of shit and cause a bunch of ruckus, get people killed, and then stare into the camera menacingly. She couldn't activate to do a goddamn thing for most of this season. Been reckless, causing all types of trouble. She finally decides she's had enough and decides to go off on the black girl. Now, in fairness, the black girl's annoying. But I just thought it was so interesting that all season, June's been able to, like, you know, keep her composure. When she finally decides she's had enough, she's going to try to choke out the black girl in the middle of the street. Really, June? She's going to put the black girl in the shame chair, push the poor fragile thing over the edge. You knew that black girl ain't had no good sense and she wasn't quite right in the head. Now, she's not as bad off as the girl with one eye, but she on that trajectory. I wanted to know more about the black girl. I wanted to know how she got like that because she was on that real, like, I drank the Kool-Aid type-ish. Really, sis? What did you do before the rise of Gilead? I want to know what your occupation was. You were a pick-me? But now she dead. I hope you watched the episode because I just spoiled it for you. My bad. I'm invested in the show. Like, I've watched every episode, so now I feel like, oh, I have to know what happens next. 
But it seems like we're not getting Hannah out of Gilead because we don't know where Hannah and her family are. So you probably should have just gone to Canada, June, and been with your baby and your actual husband. That was a waste. I don't care about Serena Joy and her change of heart. June's like, I trusted you. Why? I'm just watching it because I've always watched it. That and the DP needs a raise. The DP and the director. Because those shots are beautiful. The camera crew too. Because they, you know, they putting in work. They're executing the vision. It's a beautifully shot show. They will give you some artistic arrangement. And some frightening-ish. Like the Lincoln Memorial chopped in half. It's disturbing. The monument as a cross. Ugh. Maybe I'll just start watching it with the volume off. Because it's not like anything happens plot-wise. I'm like, y'all are drawing out a whole season of plot point that really could have happened in like three episodes. Your boy ASAP Rocky. I'm not black. I'm ASAP. Sir took his black behind to time out New York. I don't have the quote in front of me. Actually, let me pull it up. And I'm giving you the censored version because you'd you be listening with your kids in the car. I don't want to talk about no effing Ferguson because I don't live over there. I live in Soho and Beverly Hills. I can't relate. I'm in the studio. I'm in these fashion studios. I'm in these B-word draws. So there's a bunch of backlash about what he said. And then he goes on The Breakfast Club and literally starts talking about some All Lives Matter-ish. I'm like, who is advising you? Because somebody should have told you, like, son, you're effing up. So he goes over to Sweden. I don't really know the full story. Apparently, he's walking with security. Some people are bothering him. He ignores them. And then they won't let up. And so he gets into a fight. I think that's the story. Don't quote me on that. He ends up getting arrested. He's put in Swedish prison. I don't know if it was his lawyer, his homeboys. Somebody tells the press or someone with access to press that Aesop Rocky is being held in this Swedish prison and all they're feeding him is an apple a day and there's feces all over the walls. Like it's international prison. I don't know what you want. So that's my first thought. Then a whole bunch of people are like, nah, bruh, I watched Locked Up Abroad. No, that's not how Swedish prisons are. In fact, Sweden has one of the most compassionate prison systems in the entire world. And they actually have closed prisons because they don't have enough prisoners. And life in prison in Sweden is only 10 years because they really believe in rehabilitation and helping the convicted person become a promising member of society. Their dorms look like Ikea. They're really nice and they're fed really good food every day. The Swedish prison is completely offended that the people are out here thinking that they're treating prisoners in this horrible manner and they release the menu of what Rocky's been fed for the last week and the conditions in which he's living in. It was cuter than my college dorm at the University of Maryland. It was so cute. It wasn't Lux living, but it was clean. It was brightly lit. There was a mattress. And by clean, no feces on the walls. They released their lunch and dinner menu. They were having pie for dessert with vanilla sauce. Another day there was caviar fish. And I was like, sir, I work. I'm not eating caviar. How are you eating caviar in prison? 
that boy's fine. He's not suffering. He'll eventually get out. It's going to be inconvenient for him. But people are circulating this petition on some like save ASAP. You want me to sign a petition to free someone who is like, stop asking me about Ferguson. I don't live there. I live in Beverly Hills in Soho. Really? I've never lived in Ferguson. I was in Brooklyn when all that was happening. Do you think that I was like, oh, F Ferguson? Are you serious? I get everybody's not going to march. Everybody's not going to cut a check and get in pocketbooks. And just for clarity, I march and I cut checks. Everyone's not going to do that. But the bare minimum that you can do, especially as somebody with a public platform, is to be like, yes, I support the people who are out here marching for the rights and safety of people who look like me. How dare you disparage people who are putting their lives, literally their lives, on the line. And you are a black man, once a black boy, raised in Harlem, no less. And you can't relate because you live in Beverly Hills. Sir, wasn't your father a drug dealer? You first generation legit life. But I was like, really? You can't relate. You from Harlem, but you live in Beverly Hills and Soho now. You can't relate because you be in fashion houses and studios and in women's draws. Then you know what? Let Soho and Beverly Hills and the women whose draws you be in and the fashion houses, European fashion houses too. Let them save your black ass. I hope he does get home. Because it's, it's stupid. You got into a street fight. There was no guns. There was no knives. I hope that maybe someone has some compassion. Get his black ass home. I don't wish him no ill will. But I'm also not lifting a finger or signing a petition to help. Womp womp. Last but not least, we're going to discuss Serena's big black ass on the cover of Harper's Bazaar. I thought Serena's ass looked amazing. It was just a piece of ass. I mean, we've seen her whole ass before. Because Serena will pull that thing out and just, like, look. Have a look at it. And on multiple magazine covers, Serena's gone naked multiple times. She actually has clothes on on this one. I don't know why people are so upset. But this one, it seems, has just pushed people over the edge. How dare she? I thought Serena had more class than that. Did you? Or does she not? Just because she got a piece of cheek out? An unaltered unretouched piece of cheek I thought it was a beautiful piece of cheek I saw that picture I went to the gym and I was going to the gym because I go to the gym like every day I usually do my kettlebell squats of like the 18s which is about give or take 36 37 pounds your girl was like I feel Serena-ish today I'm going up to 20 that was what Tuesday Wednesday my ass has been on fire since Wednesday today's Friday I'm so upset but it's cute. It's getting cuter by the day. I'm dedicated. I got it up high. It's not puffing out. If you follow my Essence Fest pictures, it was hot. I put on the closest thing I could find to underwear. In some cases, that was shorts that may or may not have shown my ass. But my thighs looked amazing. The whole like summer bodies are made in the winter. There's something to that. But my legs are great. Tush. It's getting to great. Hashtag see some ass. It is a movement. It's a way of life. The Serena's ass. That's a work of art. People were so upset. So upset. 
She looks like she's on the cover of Black Tail. Really? It's like a naked superhero. In gold, no less. I like Serena. And her essay was really good. I think she uses her tush sometimes. She doesn't break it out all the time. But I think she uses her tush sometimes to draw attention to what she's doing. So like this cover drops and I'm sure there's no coincidence that she's playing in Wimbledon at the same time. Nicely played, sis. But if you were fortunate enough to read the essay that she penned for Harper's, she actually had really interesting things to say. She's talked about this before, but she went like a little deeper about just the unfairness and the racism and the sexism that she's faced being a black woman in tennis. And she was like, you know, they let the guys get mad. They think it's cute that they blow off steam. She was like, I'm an athlete. I am competitive. I am here to win. I get upset. I get angry. And I'm penalized for it because people don't think women should act like that. Black women specifically. She hears all the things that people say about her. She genuinely does not care. She's dealt with it for years and years and years. Like, it's just she knows that whatever she does, it's not going anywhere. So she might as well just be herself. Because they're not going to like her, so she might as well like herself. She feels like she owes it to herself to be that. She feels like she owes it to her daughter to show her a strong and confident and resilient and powerful mommy. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. I get it. I'm a Serena fan. I'm not even like a necessarily a tennis fan. I can't say that I've ever sat down and watched like a Serena match. Not that I can recall. But I like Serena. It's one of those, like, I'm rooting for everybody black except ASAP and R. Kelly. I even root for Tyrese at this point. You know how I used to feel about Tyrese. But he's been quiet. And he said nothing crazy in a long time. That, to me, says he is working on self and he is now doing better. I appreciate people's growth. When ASAP apologizes, I might have something nice to say about him. Mm. Can we add somebody to the list who I hadn't planned to talk about? Because I haven't done a podcast since the, uh, the BET Awards. Tyler Perry. Now, I've been real hard on Mr. Tyler Perry over the years. I do not much care for his cinematic offerings. I respect him as a man, especially since he sat all the way through Aretha's funeral. That's when I started looking at Tyler Perry different. Because Aretha's funeral was like eight hours and mad people left by the end of the funeral, which I get. Like, you've been there for a work day. But Tyler Perry sat there the whole time. And I was like, you know what? He showed respect to a legend. If anybody deserved an eight-hour funeral, it was Aretha Franklin. And he stayed and showed his respects. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to back off Tyler Perry for a bit. But he gave that speech at the BET Awards. And I didn't agree with everything he said. He made a jab at Oscar So White, which was started by a black woman. I failed to recall her name at this time, but I, I sat on a panel with her during CBC. And she's a very smart, intelligent, purposeful woman. And Oscar So White actually had an impact. It was more than just a hashtag. So Tyler Perry sort of sidelining Oscar So White is basically, you know, y'all are trying to get a seat at the table while I'm over here building the table, by which he meant his studio, I think you can do both. Like, I think you can build your studio and, and have your Black-owned thing, but I think you also deserve to be recognized. I don't think it has to be either or. 
I think you can have Tyler Perry and more, hopefully, who own their product and who build studios and, and such. Like, cause I think that's an amazing feat. But I also think that you can also fight for inclusion in places that you deserve to be included. You know how much black people spend on entertainment? It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, partially because of the money that black folks spend. Yes, black people should be included. People of color over-index for entertainment. Black people on social media, we're the ones who make everything hot. We're the ones that give you your blockbusters because we tweet about everything. We talk to our friends about everything. We over-index for use on social media and we're sharing reviews and conversations about all of this entertainment that is then in turn making you money. You can run black folk a nomination or two and a few wins while we're at it. I appreciated Tyler's speech. He's an amazing orator. I was tweeting the award show for BET and I made this joke. I was like, I bet Tyler Perry's going to end up as a minister. And somebody pointed out, I think they were like, yeah, he went to divinity school. And then he was like, yeah, it's not going to work for me. He didn't want to adhere to the strict lifestyle, which I was like, you know what? I respect that because I'd be mad frustrated with these ministers out here preaching the word of God, telling everybody they going to hell and then be up to their own personal and private shenanigans. It's not that I expect you to be perfect, sir, but I expect you not to tell me I'm going to hell for the same issue doing. Tell me we going to hell. I can appreciate that a lot more. Like, look, this thing ain't right. It's real hard. I struggle with it too. But if we don't get right, we going to end up in hell. And I could be like, you know what? Preach, pastor. Preach, pastor. You struggle like I do. We trying to get into heaven together. Well, folks, that's all for today. I'm not promising I'll be back next week because I'm having a mood and I don't know when it's going to lift. I also don't know when my therapist is coming back. She's had that out of office on for like two weeks. I'll figure it out. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you get your daily harvest. As a reminder, all of daily harvest ingredients are carefully sourced for maximum nourishment and flavor. You can actually see all of the ingredients when you open up your cup. Daily Harvest is the easiest, most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables first thing in the morning, before bed, and any time in between. Each single-serving cup takes one step to prepare. Just add water or milk to a smoothie or heat up a harvest bowl. I'll probably have a harvest bowl for dinner tonight. If you would like to have a little Daily Harvest in your life, go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code RESPECTABLE. You'll get three free cups in your first Daily Harvest box. That's promo code RESPECTABLE for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. Promo code RESPECTABLE. R-E-S-P-E-C-T-A-B-L-E. Last but not least, if you're interested in that new Dapper Dan book, Made in Harlem, Moderated by our friend, Omari Hardwick. Remind me to tell you the story someday about Omari Hardwick and the patty pie. If you are interested in hearing Omari Hardwick tell you about the life and times of our dear Dapper Dan. I love him. You can visit audible.com slash respectable or text respectable to 500-5 zero zero that's audible.com 
slash respectable. R-E-S-P-E-C-T-A-B-O-E. Same thing for that, that code, 500-500. So that's all, folks. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for your patience or not. Hopefully you'll have a little, have a little compassion. Same for me, one extended to yourself. Take it easy on folks. You never know what they're going through. Talk soon. Bye. I'm not the one